Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 194 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Monday evening, and uh, not our normal situation in terms of recording on a Monday night, but actually it worked out pretty perfectly. Uh, candidly, I got lucky in that I was traveling Sunday night, but there was uh, every reason, actually, to hold this podcast because of all the news that happened on Monday, and that'll be most of today's podcast. So joining me to talk about all of it is Scott Coleman. What's up, man? What's going on, Brad? Yeah, we uh, we got some news today, which was good. I was hoping uh, we kind of knew today would be a semi busy day for the team uh, with the with the deadline with the options, but um, you just never know what's going to happen until it happens. So we have we have plenty to talk about, which is not always the case in the first week of November. So it should be fun. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And you know, let's just let people hop behind the curtain a little bit here. We were going to do our starting pitching rotation uh, review, and now we're not going to. We'll do it. We'll do it next week, probably. But uh, we've we've did the bullpen last week. If you missed that, by the way, subscribe to the podcast. Go, go check it out. Uh, it's a, it was a fun episode, and we still have two more to do between the starting pitching and the lineup itself, basically, in terms of actually reviewing. But this is one of the few times, basically, the entire offseason where we'll have a full slate of content to discuss. So let's just do that now and talk about the stuff that's happening now. So. I think the first thing on the agenda is the actual news, which was the option decisions and the qualifying offer decision made by the Braves on Monday. So not a ton of stunners here, but still worth noting. I think maybe not surprising, but the most noteworthy one for me in terms of I probably would have guessed it went the other way is Julio Tehran. Um, The Braves declined his option. It was $12 million with a $1 million buyout. So they're going to owe him that money. Um, they certainly could bring him back still. In, in, in fact, Alex Anthopoulos said publicly on Monday that they, that they could still bring him back, but he's going to be hitting the market now as a free agent. And with that news, we'll come back to the other stuff in a second. The Braves are going to have a little bit less payroll than we thought they were going to maybe have. As We, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. I was never assuming Julio would be on the roster, but I also thought that at the end of the day, it was likely that he probably would be. So I was wrong so far on that one, but what, what did you what did you make of Julio not being back at 12 million? That's, that's kind of the big thing that we have to point out here. The, the, the Braves could still sign him. They certainly could, but it won't be for $12 million. Yeah, you said, you know, you talked about this was the one decision that felt like it was really up in the air. Flowers was an ear guarantee. Uh, Marcakis, it seemed more likely than not, but Julio, it really did feel pretty 50, 50. Um, I was in the camp of, of not exercising the option. And I think what's important to note here is, is the dollar, the dollar figure versus what flowers and Marcakis were making and then the buyout. So, you know, to commit $12 million to Julio on November 4th, I thought was just kind of silly. It's, it's 
three months of off season to go, maybe even more the way that the schedule works now. Um, why lock yourself into $12 million to a guy who, uh, you know, for better or worse, you know what you're going to get for, from him. And it, it just didn't seem like it was really necessary to guarantee that kind of money to Julio um, this early in the off season before you've seen what the free agent market does before you've seen what trades, uh, you know, what's going to cost to make a trade for a starting pitcher. Um, I thought it was probably the smart move to make. Now, who knows? Maybe uh, the rest of baseball values Julio higher than than the Braves do or what you know people on the Internet do. And he has no trouble going out and getting a three year deal for a significant amount of money. Um, or, as you noted, uh, the Braves may circle back in November and even if they are in February, rather, uh, maybe they kind of follow the Nick Markakis plan of last year see where the market goes. If they strike out elsewhere, you can always go back to him, assuming he hasn't signed. Um, and, and you just kind of leave that door open. So, um, it was the move I think I would have made if I were running the show. Um, I did think it was a true decision as we've talked about. Julio does bring some value. He's always durable. And, uh, while maybe not, uh, having a whole bunch of upside, uh, you have a pretty good idea of what he's going to give you every five days. Yeah, it's, Pretty interesting, and we're going to talk a lot about starting pitching on the next podcast, but Julio is an interesting case study because, you know, for instance, we'll, we'll touch on the other guys in a second, but the MLB Trade Rumors stuff came out, uh, the projection that they, uh, that they always do about contract stuff and teams and all that stuff. Julio was projected by them, this is one, you know, one website, but for to get two years, $18 million from the Seattle Mariners. That sounds plausible to me. Like Julio, yeah, you could argue he's not worth twelve million, but he's not worth much less than that in terms of just the raw calculation of what someone who eats innings like he does is worth. But there's also a relatively low floor to that, um, relatively high ceiling too, compared to a lot of the options that are available to you. But I can, you know, I think no one was going to be overjoyed with Julio on one year and twelve million dollars. It wasn't going to be bad. I would not have criticized him for it. I thought that was perfectly reasonable, and you know, there's something to be said for locking that in. But I'm okay with not doing it as well. It's just one of the situations where it's just a little bit too much. If it was one year and $9 million, I would have been like, okay, pick it up. Um, I don't, that does not sound like a huge disparity, but for a team that operates like the Braves do, and again, this goes something that we'll probably talk about a lot over the winter, but I understand the Braves could spend more money. They sort of operate, though, like they have a salary cap. Like, you know what I mean? It's not a situation where yeah. I can already hear people talking about this now. You know, aside from the competitive balance tax, which the Braves are nowhere near, there is no actual holdup in terms of them spending more money. But ownership is going to give them somewhat of a hard number. So it's not like that $3 million is not going to be used. It's just it's just weird to say that out loud to say that, you yeah. know, for $9 million, yes, and $12 million, no. But I think if it was for eight or nine million, they probably would have picked it up. I'm guessing a little bit on that. But considering Anthopolis left the door for him, for him to come back, I can't imagine Julio signing for less than like six, seven million. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah. he's going to get no. money from from somebody. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think MLB trade rumors had two years and eighteen million to the Mariners. That kind of seems like where Julio needs to go. He needs to go to a a team. One, we're a ballpark that kind of plays towards his weaknesses. Yes. Um, you know, going to a bigger place where he can give up the fly ball. He can, uh, you know, not get killed with his, as the kind of pitcher that he is at this point in his career. Um, and again, you, you could do, I mean, shit, heck, the Braves won 97 games with Julio Teran as one of their five starting pitchers. It's not like he can't be a contributing member to uh, a team that's 
not only trying to contend, but a team that is a contender, a team that that's won a division two years in a row now. Um, but ultimately, I do think he's probably better served going somewhere that's maybe a little more low key. If he has a bad night or two, it's probably not going to get examined quite as much as it would with you know a team like the Braves or another team that's trying to win not only the division but a World Series. And we saw in the playoffs as as the Braves were trying to figure out their playoff rotation. Uh, or not even just the rotation, but the roster. It's two years in a row now. They didn't have a spot for him uh, other than the injury that prompted him to, to join this year. I think that kind of said a lot. I, I think you and I both talked about it. Was, it was really indicative of at least what the front office thought of his value. Now, maybe if it was a few million dollars cheaper, as you said, they're more inclined to pick it up. But um, ultimately, being the first week of November, I see no problem with saying no to it buying him out for the million dollars and saving yourself $11 million in the process and seeing where everything goes over the next couple months. Yeah, and I wonder, you know, it took a little while for the news to come out on Monday. I would imagine Anthopolis was both in contact with Julio's representation and also maybe seeing what his market value was. Like, there was, there be, there's an argument to say that, you know, pick it up and see if you can trade him. But at the same time, I can't imagine a huge market available for for Julio. I, I would be surprised. Yeah, I mean, especially there, at twelve million. Yeah, there is some there is some certainty, like we said, to locking him in for that. But the teams that would probably want to sign him for that have no reason to trade something of really, of real value to do that. So I, I you know I understand that I understand that back that back end, and clearly the Braves were active because all three of their decisions today, well, all four of them, I guess one of them was a no brainer with, with Donaldson, but the other the other two were sort of reworked contracts. There was definitely some stuff happening behind the scenes. I can't imagine they just decided unilaterally. There, there had to be some conversations somewhere along the way, and it wouldn't have stunned me actually if Julio just took a deal from the Braves um, that was a little bit less than this. But you know, to his agent's credit, in my opinion, I think you just want to wait and see what's out there because. I can't imagine the Braves wouldn't just hand him six million dollars in February, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know. There's not a lot of downside for Julio here. You can go out and see if there's a you know twenty thirty million dollar contract waiting for you. If there's not, I can't imagine he can't find you know a decent amount of money available when teams just need starters in February and March. It'll be there for him. Yeah, and I think he's shown that again. There's going to be some interest in him. I'd be really surprised if he's still sitting out there at the end of the winter and doesn't have a team. I, would you agree? Do you, would that be a real surprise to you? It would surprise me. I mean, it wouldn't stun me because of the way the market's just been working the last couple of off seasons. But I do think that provided his demands are reasonable there, you know, he's clearly one of the best, you know, hundred starting pitchers in the league and there are 30 teams. So yeah. he's not great. He's not going to, knock your socks off, but for a team that just needs to eat innings, he's just, and he's not that old. That's the thing about Julio that I think I always, I sometimes forget as well. Julio, you know, people just don't understand this. He's 28. Like he'll be 29 in January. That's not old. Yeah. He has a ton of miles, which is worth pointing out, but this is not like a 37 year old guy who's on his last legs. He's going to be, he's going to be around for a while, you know, yeah. barring injury. So yeah, I think he's, like, a year, he's like, yeah, he's like a year older than Mike fulton which is crazy. Like yeah, I would never say, I think he's, like yeah, like I think he's like 14 months older or something crazy like that. So yeah, like you said, he's he's somebody who's seemingly been around forever. And I do think it's worth mentioning if this is the end of Julio with the Braves, um, you can do a whole lot worse than what he gave the team over the last um, eight or nine years. He was a guy they signed, a guy they developed, a guy who was seemingly on prospect lists forever. Um, you know, if this was the end of Julio in Atlanta, I think he deserves a real. Uh, pat on the back. He was a guy who had some really good years in there. He also had, um, you know, he was part of a team that really, along with Freddie Freeman, 
Um, you know, he never once complained or at least publicly complained about being on a team that was really bad for a couple of years there. Um, you know, always was professional and, and um, a good teammate by all accounts. So um, I do think he deserves a salute. And if uh, if he's done in Atlanta, then um, I think uh, when we look back on it in a few years, um, as a whole at least, I think you look back on his time fondly and, and knowing that pitching prospects can do a whole lot worse than what he's given the team over his career. And, and I think he should be commended for that. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, we've been sort of famously skeptical of Julio the last couple of years, but this is a guy who threw, you know, 1,360 innings as a member of the Braves and did so with a sub-4 ERA. Like, that's that's a very useful pitcher for, you know, multiple seasons, you know, five, six, seven seasons. That is very valuable, even for someone who was a elite prospect, who, which is what, you know, obviously he wasn't, like, his ceiling was never reached for what we thought it was going to be probably, but there were still multiple seasons where he was, you know, a basically a one or a two, depending on how you looked at it. Like he had a, a three out of four seasons where he had, we had a, he had a 3.2 ERA or less. That's really good. Yeah, that's I mean, good. He yeah. was very good for a while. So, you know, Julio could be back. That was not, that would not surprise me in any way if they were to find an agreement with him later on in the winter. But for now, the Braves will move on without him um, quickly. I, I did say this a second ago, but the Braves now have, I think if you do the math the way that we did a couple of weeks, couple of weeks ago, if you take Julio away from that, the Braves are looking at about eighty-five to ninety million dollars committed already, and that is committed with basically three starting pitchers on the roster that returned from last year, as well as you know no starting third baseman. Um, so there's some holes to fill. <laughs> yeah, and we'll come back to the to those uh, <laughs> later to be sure. Um, the other the other major decisions that happened on Monday were. Uh, Two that you said before and I said before were kind of expected. Certainly, Flowers was considered a slam dunk. We talked about that a couple weeks ago with Mark with Mark Bowman writing that. Marcakis a little bit less so, but I think we all assumed it was going to get picked up. As frustrating as that can seem, and you know, I think a lot of the reaction was warranted, uh, especially the skepticism with Marcakis. But at the end of the day, I definitely expected him to be picked up in terms of the option. I know, I know I, that, by the way, just as a record-keeping item, the Braves did not pick up the options. They were actually declined options, and then they gave them both their buyouts for $2 million, the exact same contract, and then handed Marcakis and Flowers the exact same contract again for one year and $4 million. So they're both making the same money, um, but for, I guess, Liberty Media corporate accounting purposes? Huh. Yeah. Uh, they're giving them the $2 million on 2019 and the $4 million in 2020. This is being spun in some circles as the Braves having, quote, more money to spend in 2020, end quote. Um, that's not really a thing. Like, unless unless you were worried about the competitive balance tax, essentially that's just all about corporate accounting because there's no actual, you know, baseball-driven, payroll-driven thing to where that actually matters. It's just money in Liberty's pocket, unless I'm reading yeah. this wrong. Yeah, no, I <laughs> I wrote here in our notes. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that like they publicly talked about putting the two million dollars for each player on last year's books. Like, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's, can, it's just crazy, right? To me. Yeah, but but yeah, I mean, like, to to your point though, like it sold fans. There were a lot of fans that were like, oh, they're 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 gearing up to spend money. It's like no. This is what they do though. They're very good at this. To be fair, um, they're good at the spin to make some fans do this. But in the NBA, this would matter. In, in teams that ha- in, in the NFL, this would matter if, if, if salary cap driven stuff was actually a big time thing. But in baseball, the only cap thing that matters is the is the luxury competitive balance tax, which the Braves aren't absolutely nowhere near. So this is just a corporate accounting thing. 
I, yeah. I can't see I can't see another explanation for this other than to wave it and say, "Oh, look, guys, four million dollars you can spend." Yeah, sure. And and you know if that's if if they have you talked about kind of like an imaginary salary cap, right? I mean, sure, if they really do operate under these premises, and you nor I know how the Braves' financials actually work, right? Yes. Like, who knows how much money they're actually willing to spend, their absolute ceiling, their floor, all that stuff. Um, but if if in their minds, putting that $4 million to the 2019 payroll instead of 2020, uh, I'll take an extra $4 million to spend, sure. Um, but I did find that weird. Um, I guess to get back to the two players, yeah, Flowers was a no-brainer. He's been valuable. Everyone knows his strengths and his weaknesses, um, it'll be interesting if I, I, I'm of the belief that they're going to continue their little platoon of, of catchers. They'll, they'll sign another veteran to a, a you know, a full five, six, seven million dollar deal um, to pair with Flowers. Um, that was a no brainer. I think the Marcakis one is the one that was really, um, I mean, obviously it was divisive. It just kind of depends on who you talk to. Um, for four million dollars, I would bring him back. But as we've talked about many times on here and elsewhere, um, that's assuming he's going to be used correctly. And it's something that Anthopolis said they, they've discussed. Um, and maybe I'm stealing your notes here, but <laughs> discussed the platoon role with Marcakis. Um, but it obviously remains to be seen if that actually happens. Yeah, that's the big thing here. And we'll do a deeper dive into all the players when we talk about the lineup. But just for right now, you know, I was at least heartened to hear Anthopolis say that that was the plan and that they were talking about that with Marcakis before they actually executed this move. Um, I have to say, though, I am skeptical to some degree that as long as Brian Snicker is the manager, that he will not play Marquecas too much. We talked about this ad nauseum. That was the widespread reaction to this move. And I think, you know, I can I can paint the picture of optimism for you to where if everybody says the right things and they realize Marquecas, you know, last year wasn't all that good and had a platoon split and his defense, et cetera, et cetera. If they treat this the way that I hope they will, it could be okay. And just like last year, it's the exact, it's honestly the exact same conversation as we had 12 months ago, that the contract itself is fine. Uh, it's not a problem at all. The problem is what happens, is, is, I guess I, I should say the potential problem is what happens if he's overplayed. But mm-hmm. the platoon thing is noteworthy. I do have to say, and I, I will shout out a couple of people that said this before me on Twitter, but it's a good point. If they do a pure platoon, he's still going to play a lot. Like that, that's 120 plus starts because of the way that nationally pitching staffs work, unless they drastically change right-handed pitchers are just a lot more uh, prevalent. So you will see Marquecas still, I mean, if you go back from by, by the last couple of years, that's still 125 to 130 in terms of starts. That's a lot of plate appearances for a guy who, you know, isn't fantastic. It's not like, I mean, again, that's, that's better than playing him every day, but I, I do think that there's a conversation to be had that maybe that's still too, that's still still too big of a role for Marquecas. Um, but that's one we could say for later. It's just worth pointing out that yes, it's good that they're probably, probably, I don't know how to say this, probably going <laughs> to platoon him. But um, even if they do, that still might be too much. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I would hope that again, it's November 4th. We have a long ways to go. Yes, I would hope <laughs> that signing Marquecas for 4 million bucks um, isn't going to prevent them that if they're sitting at the GM meetings in a couple or winter meetings in a couple weeks and a can't miss opportunity comes up that they wouldn't walk away and go now nah, we already have Nick for four million bucks we're good um, I would hope that it leaves all the doors open I, I guess I could be wrong there but it is clear uh, again I mean this will be the sixth season of Nick Markakis with the Braves um, it is very very clear to me 
that this front office, which is now going into its third offseason with the Braves, they've had really three winners now to not have him with the team, and they are three for three in bringing him back. So regardless of what you or I or anyone listening to this thinks, it's very, very clear to me that that the front office really values him, for better or worse, and um, I, I, I guess they're going to have to see where – uh, his age 36 or 37 season is going to take him, but ultimately they do they do value him beyond what he provides at the plate, um, and I think that's that's worth noting. Noting, absolutely. You know the organization certainly values him at a high level and a higher level than I think we do outside, and that's the never ending debate that's going to happen here. Again, it's it's fine. The contract itself is fine. Uh, the next step is one that will litigate plenty in the future, and I'm with you. I would hope that that signing him does not preclude them from making other runs at other guys because you know Ender Enciarte is going to be a topic of conversation in the future as well but if you go into next season with Enciarte Marquecas and a catcher and a catcher spot that's not exactly enthusiastic at the plate and maybe Dansby as well is not exactly enthusiastic at the plate that's a lineup that's not going to scare too many people so no. uh that's something we'll come back to but yeah I hope that that's not that, that it doesn't take care of uh I guess removing the brace from the free agent board or the trade board, because uh, the good thing about the, about the deal is that you can pay that for a pure bench player and it's totally fine. So uh, it shouldn't hamper them too much. If that happens, I have, my yeah, and I think, well, <laughs> yeah, and I think so much of this now, and maybe this is what we talked about a year ago, right? Cause it's a pretty similar form formula to what they did, but it's finding out just how much they're going to need to count on presumably Marcakis and Duvall or Marcakis and Austin Riley or whoever it is. Um, because if you surround those players or, or surround Marcakis with a bunch of good players, I think you you feel the need for him to be good a little bit less, if that makes sense, right? Like yep. if he's lower in your order, I think it means uh, you can kind of hide him a little bit better and maybe don't rely on him for 155, 160 starts out of the fifth spot. Um, if you can drop him down to the sixth or seventh spot, that's obviously ideal. Um, however, that means you have to upgrade significantly at other positions and um, that's a whole other can of worms we could probably discuss, but, um, ultimately I hope they make moves, uh, over the next couple months that allow them to kind of hide what Marcakis may not bring. Yep. I agree. And, uh, we will probably discuss the platoon between Marcakis and Adam, du- and Adam Duvall, maybe, uh, in the future. Um, catcher, you referenced, you know, flowers, I guess real quickly, but it was kind of funny to see this. Mike, Mike Petriello of MLB.com uh, tweeted out that it was a great value for Marcakis, which, uh, sorry, for Flowers, which I definitely agree with. Um, but he was assaulted by Braves fans who <laughs> don't like Tyler Flowers. Uh, yeah. Flowers is very, very controversial locally, but it was telling to me that essentially everyone else loves that kind of contract. It's not a great, like, overarching value for him, but at $4 million or $6 million, however you put that, Flowers is a perfectly fine half of a catching platoon. Um, so that's kind of my only not so hot Mm -hmm. take about that. Like he's still a valuable player. I know the pass balls were frustrating. I know the, I know the plate stuff was not, was kind of frustrating this year, but his framing and all that stuff, he's just perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. It's been an overarching conversation that we've had on this podcast, but catcher Hmm. around the league is brutal. And if you can lock in a, you know, respectable starter slash high end backup for relatively little money, you just do that and figure out the rest. Truly. I mean, you know, for $4 million, what do you have to lose? As we've talked about, the only real significant upgrade out there is is Josh Monte Grandal. Um, I, I think it's possible, but I, I wouldn't say it's likely. 
Um, ultimately, I think, as we've talked about, I think they're likely to bring in a platoon mate for Flowers. But again, you can do a whole lot worse than what he does, um, and especially at that price. If they were paying him $12 million a year, yeah, yeah I'd be like, what are you guys doing? But for $4 million bucks, I mean, you know how many bad players get more than $4 million a year? Um, you, you can certainly, again, it's not ideal. You don't want him batting anywhere above seventh or eighth in your order. Um, and you just hope he stays healthy, but, um, there is some value to a guy who, you know, what you're going to get for 4 million bucks. And, um, and it's, I guess, uh, it wasn't really a decision for the team with, with McCann retiring, but it is something to check off. And, and now you have a few months to figure out what your options are. Yeah, it would have happened anyway, and I do think the other half of the of the catching platoon is not going to is not curly in the organization, so they're going to have to sign someone. Oh, um, for sure. And we'll yeah. see who that uh, who that player is. And by the way, they could still sign Grindall. It's not likely, but you know th- that was one thing that I saw on Twitter was like, well, that takes Grindall off the board. I'm like, no, it doesn't. Um, if he was ever going to be on the board, this is not going to stop the race from signing him. I think that's not going to happen, um, most likely. But if they really, you know, if Grindall fell in their lap. They could either move Flowers or they could still be fine because he's not he's not making that much money. And Flowers, I think, is a is a team guy who would just gladly play twice a week and be fine. Like sure. Um, so there's no downside in my opinion. It's a good move, and you just do it. Um, last thing in terms of the actual mechanics of what happened on Monday as we move away from those three guys is the qualifying offer for Josh Donaldson. That for me anyway was an absolute no brainer. He's not going to take it. But it's $17.8 million. If he takes it, then you're overjoyed. If he doesn't take it, um, then a team has to pay, um, you know, draft pick to sign him, basically. There's no downside here whatsoever because I think we could all agree that Donaldson at $17.8 million would be a heist <laughs> if he takes it. Yeah. I, it would be a very happy podcast if uh, he decided to accept the qualifying offer. And, and, he and he's not going to. <laughs> yeah. He's not going to. Um, but as you said, I mean, worst case, and it, it would be pretty bad, but if he decides to sign elsewhere. Um, and I will say this, like of all the things that could happen this off season, I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like if I had to put money on something happening this winter, I think Donaldson hands down would be, would be what I put it on. Like, do you feel the same way? You're talking about like big, like big money guys. Yeah. Bringing them back. Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably true. I mean, if you, if you made me pick a single player for the Braves to sign, to a big contract, he would be the one pretty clearly. I mean, I, I can't imagine it wouldn't. I mean, just the in-house advantage of having him already, the, the fact that he plays third base, the position of need for this team. Um, you know, there are starting pitchers that are available that would be, you know, arguably as valuable. But um, between the relationship and the position, I think, you know, him coming back, if you made me pick one thing, I certainly would be, that, that would be it. So I'm with you on that. Yeah. I mean, we could probably argue like whether it's more likely than not or not. That That's more interesting. And I think for me, like, is it more likely than not to happen or is it just the most likely thing Ooh. to happen? Yeah. I mean, you never know. All it takes is one team to come in and just go right. crazy. I mean, some team could offer four years with the vesting option at $28 million per year. And then that's a lot. You just kind of laugh and go, all right, well, no, thanks. Um, and you figure out a plan B, but I just don't see that happening. And I think for a Braves perspective, um, again, you know what you're going to get. He seems to like Atlanta. There's again, when both parties come out at the end of the season and say, Hey, yeah, we'd like to get something done. Um, again, there's a lot of hoops to jump through. There's, there's the financial part of it. There's, um, but if, if, and he also seems like somebody who, I never know how much this matters to players, but he seems like a guy who wants to be on a good team. Like, do you kind of get that vibe from him at this stage in his career and knowing his personality? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, honestly, he's he's made some money in his career. I think the fact that he's going to make more money helps too. Like, there's not really that desperation to take the highest bidder if all things aren't, aren't aren't relatively equal. You know, most guys still sign for the most money if they can, but if it's close, a veteran yeah. like that who's really competitive and fiery might just lean towards you know, winning. There, there is some yeah. quality of life stuff there where, yeah, money is still probably the number one thing that drives this stuff. But if, if it's close at all, a guy who's made, you know, tens of millions of dollars in his career might lean towards competitiveness. And the Braves obviously provide that to him if he wants it. Oh, sure. I mean, I, I, I was looking at it earlier. I think he's made like 60, $70 million in his big league career so far. So he is not poor. I mean, unless he, he has the world's worst financial advisor, he is not poor by any means. So again, it, it you can't play at a discount, but it just seems like, and this is me just totally guessing here, but it seems like if it was close between, you know, the Braves where he's been or a team like, I think uh, MLB trade rumors projected him to go to the Texas Rangers, you know, Rangers in that division, they're probably not doing anything anytime soon. Maybe Josh Donson really likes Texas for whatever reason, but um, <laughs> Dallas, uh, Dallas the, is nice to be fair. Dallas is a nice place. Yeah, sure. Um, but you, you get what I'm saying there. I think uh, I think he's somebody who enjoyed Atlanta. I think he enjoyed being around the team. Um, and, and obviously, Anthopoulos knows him well. And the Braves uh, enjoyed having him at third last year. So I think there's a better chance than not that he comes back. But again, uh, I guess we'll kind of have to see where everything goes. Yeah, we are certainly guessing on that one. But uh, I, I'm hoping you're hoping you're right because they, they could certainly use him back. Huh. Um, and we'll come back to that, of course. At a later date, uh, one quick thing before we get to a break here. Billy Hamilton's option was declined. That was the biggest no-brainer in the history of Earth. So, uh, mm. yeah, $7.5 million was never happening. We, we knew that, but uh, it was official as of, I think, like Tuesday. It was very, very fast, which is kind of amusing. <laughs> I wish somebody would give me a million dollars to, like, all right, you're done. Sorry. Billy, sorry. Here's a million. Um, all right, that's enough of that for right now. We'll come back in a second, and I'm glad you brought up the MLB Trade Rumors uh, projections because we're going to come back and talk, talk about those momentarily. So uh, hold on tight, everybody. We'll, we'll be right back. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun, but it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that T-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once-in-a-lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. All right, Scott. Um, as we teased, the annual MLB Trade Rumors projections are out. And uh, I always think these are interesting from the contract perspective more than the actual team perspective. Because the team stuff, it's a guess. It's an educated guess. But, you know, teams can be fickle behind the scenes, etc. But some of the numbers are really interesting to me. We referenced Julio earlier. That was interesting. Um, two for 18, which is about 
that kind of makes some sense to me. That was the projection to the Seattle Mariners. The other Braves free agents, you referenced Donaldson a second ago, that was three for $75 million to Texas, which sounds reasonable to me. It's a lot of money, but not nothing crazy. And then Dallas Keuchel was projected at three years, $39 million to the White Sox. That is actually interesting to me. What would you make of that one? Because that, that one kind of raised my eyebrow, because if I'm the Braves, I would give him that contract. <laughs> for- yeah, I you know, it's interesting. Um, I didn't realize this until just recently, but both MLB Trade Rumors and Fangraphs released their contract projections, and they are significantly apart on a couple guys. Now, I haven't compared those couple names you just mentioned, but um, yeah, I mean, three years for 39 for Keiko seems on the lower end of what I thought, at least on an, uh, on an average per year basis, I guess it's, I guess it's 13 million a year, which is what he just agreed to basically. And he's Um, not young. Like he's not, I mean, he's 30, he'll be 32 in January, which is not old for the way he, that he pitches, but it's not like he's 27 either. So that's something to keep. Like I wouldn't, like I wouldn't run to sign that contract. If I were the Braves, if Keiko was like, yeah, I'll sign for three thirty nine, but I mean, I think you could do worse. Um, I think I would do that just for the record. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be overjoyed. It's not it, that wouldn't be an A plus move where we, where we come on the podcast and like throw a party. But if, if, <laughs> if they announced that yeah. deal tomorrow with Keiko, I would be like, okay, I would do that. Like it's not. Yeah, I think a, I'd be cool with it. I mean, if it's either Keiko for thirteen million or Julio for twelve, I think I would take Keiko for thirteen. Yeah, I mean, the third year is where you get into weird stuff. Like if it, if it was two for twenty eight, that's even easier for me yeah like, it's, yep, a, it's, me a, it's another million more but two years like if it was two for 30 i would do that pretty quickly i think um which might be controversial i don't know how people feel about Keiko at this point he's not that much better than julio but i think he is better um so that's worth pointing out um yeah donaldson three for 75 is like the deal we've all talked about a million times so i'm yeah. not really that was not anything new for me but the braves guys that were projected to them are noteworthy i think again this is it's a guess it's it's one website but the two guys that the braves are projected to sign by MLB, by mlb trade rumors are cole hamels at two years and 30 million the deal i just said for keiko by the way um and mike moustakis who we discussed a ton last <laughs> winter and the uh, winter before that and yeah the winter before pretty much that. every year it feels like I, I think somebody said and i needed to go back and look but i think this is three years in a row now that trade rumors has projected the Braves to sign Mike Moustakis. I mean, it's made sense every time. It made sense last summer. I'm mean, sorry, well, summer last winter, and obviously Donaldson was is, is better, and that made a lot of sense. Uh, but but if Donaldson were to not come back, they could do worse than Moustakis for two for twenty because he has power, and the Braves need that kind of bat in the lineup. He's not going to blow you away, but he is someone who is an interesting player. So. How do you feel about both of those? You know, Hamels is not sexy by any means. I think actually Keuchel is is Keuchel better than Hamels? Um, I think oh, that that they're pretty close. I mean, if you yeah. had to ask who would have a better year next year, I would probably lean. Oh man, I don't know. I'd probably lean Hamels by a nose, but um, Hamels also has some injury things. He's also four about years older, five years older. Yeah, he'll be yeah. 30, he'll be thirty six. That's not young. Yeah, I think I'd probably, but but Hamels also probably has a little better stuff than Keiko at this point. So he I does. Don't know. Yeah, that's that's um, true. I mean, it's interesting hypothetical just because I think you know Keiko having been in the organization this year, it's fresh, but 
I have this picture of Hamels is like really falling off, and it, it kind of really hasn't. It kind of really hasn't happened. Like he was a star for a long time. He's not that anymore. He had one year where he didn't make a ton of starts, 2017, 24 starts, but every other season besides that, since 2007, he's been basically a full-season starting pitcher with a sub-4 ERA. Like, he's been really good for a long time. The age scares you for a multi-year deal. But, again, if they if they get Cole Hamels 2 for 30, I would not kill them for that. That is not exciting at all. Um, but if they just wanted to get a guy in here and Keiko, for some reason, wasn't interested in coming back... Um, they could do worse yeah. than Cole Hamels. They need, they need, they need bodies because we'll get to this next week. But they only have three guys coming back that you actually trust, and maybe not even three guys that you trust. If if, if Fulty's not trustworthy, then it's actually two, two and a half. I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm with. You. I mean, it, it's it's about as boring of an off season signing as you can make. <laughs> yes. Right? You're like, oh, Cole Hamels, cool. Like you, you know what you're going to get with him. There is no upside, but there's also probably not a ton of downside. And for that kind of contract for two years. Um, the likelihood of him just falling off a cliff all of a sudden is pretty low. He's been around for a decade now. Um, yeah, I mean, the Hamels won, and again, this is just fun with teams. And, and yes. honestly, I think Trade Rumors probably cares far more about the dollars and the years than oh, they do the actual team. I can tell you that for uh, absolute certainty that the, the, yeah. the number, the contract dollar and year stuff is way more interesting than the team stuff. The team stuff's yeah. a guess, it just is. Yeah, sure. And and even and to their credit, I mean, you read like the player profiles for their top 50 guys and they list like a half dozen to a dozen teams that like Zach Wheeler, every team in baseball likes Zach Wheeler. He's younger. In- he including the Braves. <laughs> right. Including the Braves. That, that's not a shock. Everybody from the Nationals and Astros to the Braves to the Miami Marlins would take Zach Wheeler. Right. He's young. He has upside. Um, that That's nothing earth shattering. And if you read through the projections, it's it's nothing uh, alarming, but I think at, at some point when you're trying to guess where 50 players are going to go, there's a certain amount of, all right, well, they'll probably make a move for X, Y, and Z, so let's give them this guy. So I wouldn't get hung up on that too much, but no. I guess to go back to Hamels, if that was their guy, I'd say, okay, cool. I wouldn't be thrilled about it. I wouldn't hate it. Um, it would just kind of be exactly what it is. Yeah, that's uh, that's well put. If that was the whole offseason it would not be sexy. We'll say that. Um, Hamels and Moustakis for a combined $25 million um, would basically take the Braves to, you know, 110, 115 maybe in terms of salary with just those two guys. Yeah. That's kind of near where the limit is. Um, so if that's all you do, you know, did you get better? No. Because if you if you go from Donaldson and Keuchel to Moustakis and Hamels, that's not improving. That is going the wrong way. Not not by a ton, maybe, if Moustakis really works out, but it's definitely not going the right way. So, yeah. interesting just to point that stuff out. Um, as yeah, a I, could get, I could get down with Moustakis, but, I mean, again, we talked about, like, I wouldn't necessarily want him to be the only bat that they added, but, well, I mean, you can do worse. You know what you're going to, I mean, he's incredibly consistent, hits for power. Um, he's actually started walking a little bit more, which is good. Um, somebody who's always going to have a lower average just based on his profile, and he's He's only 31, so he's not old. But again, like there's a significant drop off, um, probably about a two in drop off from Donaldson to Mushtakis. Yeah, and I mean the elephant in the room here, honestly, heading into free agency as an overall outcome, is that the Braves are not likely to improve on Keuchel and Donaldson. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. If you just told me that, you know, from basically when Keuchel signed, 
to the end of the year, what they got from Keiko and Donaldson, they are not likely to replicate that for whoever they sign. I mean, unless they somehow get into the Derby for one of the absolute top guys, which I can't imagine with the deals projected for Garrett Cole, Anthony Rendon, Strasburg, etc. Um, they're not going to do that, I don't think. So that is the elephant in the room for me on the whole, is that they're not going to do better than what they did on the veteran side last year. So mm-hmm. that's just something to keep in mind. There are there are young guys that can improve. There are prospects to come. You know, the Waters-Pache duo, the young pitchers, all that stuff. But if you're looking for safe, projectable production for 2020 versus 2019, uh, the Braves are not going to do better than Donaldson and Keuchel. <laughs> I don't think. No. It's not impossible, but not likely. Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, um, my priority, and I don't know how you feel about this, my priority this offseason is Donaldson. I think he makes, he answers so many questions. He gets you a third baseman. He gets you a fourth hitter. Um I think everything just works better with him at third. Um, and if you can get him for the money that we've thought, I think it's just a huge, huge thing to cross off your list at the start of the winter and then evaluate your other options, see how much money you have left, try to make a trade or two. Um, but for me personally, I think he is the uh, absolute top priority for a team that wants to win a World Series. Yeah, I mean, I generally just lean to bats and he is – I think pretty much by far the most likely top end bat to sign with the Braves. So yeah, I guess through that prism, you know, if you gave me a choice between signing a big ticket third baseman who is very, very good in Donaldson or a pitcher, I'm going to, I'm going to lean to Donaldson unless that pitcher is Cole or Strasburg and it's not going to be those guys. I don't know. So uh, yeah, I think I'm with you on that. Um, That makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't know. Do you have any more thoughts on free agency? We have plenty of time to talk about this stuff, but that's kind of, where we are on the news cycle, we've done 40 minutes on that, and there isn't too much else. <laughs> no, no, I think we will probably. do a free agency preview at some point, probably just to dig in deeper when we get into the bowels of the offseason. Winter meetings are still more than a month away, so um, at the last few off seasons or any indication, it will be slow for a few weeks, probably. So, yeah, yeah. we'll wrap it up <laughs> later. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. No, I mean, again, it was nothing today i guess to kind of wrap up i mean nothing today was a, a gigantic shock i think it was probably what if you would ask me i figured what they would do um and now they have they, they've kind of they know exactly what's in front of them with their contracts and and they know who uh who's out there and i think uh other than a couple of interesting qualifying offer decisions not with donaldson but with other players um is the only real intrigue and then hopefully uh, you know, cross your fingers and hope that this winter is a little bit faster moving than the last two. Yes, and also that the Braves do something other than on one day. Don't like that, like, like last one. <laughs> for the sake of the podcast. Let's, yeah, for, for let's all the content. Um, okay, yeah. quickly, there is a couple more newsy things to hit on before we get out of here. Um, I should have said this on the last podcast, but Ron Washington appears to be sticking around. There was a moment when we thought he was going to leave for a managerial job. Um, the Braves would like to have him back because he is someone who is beloved in that clubhouse. I can tell you that for a fact. So uh, shouts to Wash, who's returning, it looks yeah. like, anyway. Yeah, no, that's good news. For sure. A um, couple of award finalists, the BBWAA released the, you know, the, by the way, just that's the like the major awards that people actually care about, Cy Young, etc. Um, Rookie of the Year finalist, Mike Soroka, no surprise there. He's not going to win, I don't think, because Pete Alonso is probably going to win, um, but he'll be there. And Brian Snicker, uh, manager of the year. Uh, I guess he's the reigning manager of the year until he does until he's not. Um, he could win again. That's not inconceivable. I think he's. I mean, he's one of the top three finalists. Um, do you think he's going to win? Real quickly. 
Mm, I'm going to guess no, just because they voted him last year. So I think voters kind of have a thing about like not giving it to him two years in a row. Yeah, uh, I, that's where I am as well. I, you know, it wouldn't blow me away if he won because there honestly isn't a perfect candidate in the National League. It's it's Snicker, Craig Council of the Brewers, and Mike Schilt of the Cardinals. Yeah, and, I would say uh, Schilt. Stunningly, um, Snicker was not the worst tactical manager in the playoff series. Um, it just didn't. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's how bad Mike Mike Schilt was. Um, but I think he'll probably win too. Um, uh, just yeah, because Snit and Council split it last year, right? Yeah, it's more of a you know. Manager of the year and coach of the year in any sport is just basically narrative driven. It's not really something you can quantify. So it's like, all right, who overachieved the most? And the Braves did win a lot more games than they were supposed to win. So that kind of goes to Snickers column. I, I think that if he had not won last year, he would probably win. So to what you were saying before. Oh, yeah. He would have been a lot. So, yeah, he still could win. But uh, we'll talk about that when it happens. And then the gold glove awards were handed out. Um, no Braves actually won. We briefly discussed this on the last episode. With Eric, but uh, neither Ozzy Albies or Josh Donaldson won. They were both finalists. Personally, I would not have voted for either of them. They both had deserving cases. You know, Ozzy lost to Colton Wong, um, and you know Donaldson just fell short. You know, Arenado is a, jugg- a juggernaut, basically. So I was not upset about either one of those. Did either one of those bother you that that they didn't actually win? No, I mean, there's. I really could not care any less. Yeah, I don't care that much either. I mean, but I yeah. mean, there was the typical, you know, oh, Braves, sure, sure. Braves fan outrage that particularly Ozzy didn't win. And I'm, guys, I'm like Colton Wong had every statistical case you could make. Ozzy didn't really have a case against him. I understand that Colton Wong made a bad error in the playoffs, <laughs> but <other than> that, <laughs> right, like how many innings of Colton Wong did you watch? Yeah, this that's. Uh, and by the way, I mean, I watch a lot of baseball, and I will not claim to know much beyond the stats, so I will lean to the stats on this kind of stuff and yeah. what people say about it, and uh, it seems like the deserving winners won in the two categories where the Braves were nominated, so there you go. Um, last thing on the podcast, uh, the World Series is over, and the Nationals won the World Series, Scott. Now, it's interesting because the, Ast- the Astros did such a bad job as an organization um, you know the team. On, the team on the field is different, and I think I actually think the guys on the field for the Astros can be pretty likable. I like Alex Bregman, for instance. I like George Springer. Those guys seem fun. But the the organization, the front office, did such a terrible, terrible, terrible job that it was like people were rooting for the Nationals, even Braves fans, which I would have thought was inc- inconceivable. Like even like two months ago, that Braves fans would be rooting for the Nationals in the World Series, but. Um, that was happening. Not every Braves fan, because there was still the predictable, you know, we hate the national stuff out there. But um, the Nats won the World Series, and that means a, a rival of the Braves won the World Series, which isn't great. It just, I guess, was lessened a little bit by the fact that the Astros didn't win because people started to hate on the Astros pretty badly. Yeah, that whole thing was a train wreck. Um, yeah, I mean, I was weird. You never know how you're going to react to watching uh, certain teams win or lose, right? And, like, trust me, if if I had to, at the beginning of the playoffs, rank all of my teams that, at least in my head, I didn't want to see win a World Series, the Nationals would have been right at the very top. Um, but while watching the games, I just didn't find myself like hating them. Like I think if it was the Phillies, I would have absolutely been dreading the thought of them winning. Um, I did a fun poll actually like a week ago about which team do you dislike the most, the Mets, Nationals, or Phillies. And the Phillies won by a landslide, and the Nationals were pretty low on that list. So um, I was a little surprised, but as you said, there were some other factors working against the Astros in the series. I I wanted Houston to win, um, but I I didn't find myself, uh, you know, too bummed that that Washington finally won because they have had some pretty rotten luck 
uh, in the playoffs the last few years. Yeah, I mean, I do think that particularly people like that are our age, and we're, we're relatively close in age, Scott and I, I'm, I'm older than Scott, but, um, you know, the Nationals were not the team that I hated as a kid or teenager or college kid. Um, they just weren't. It was it was the Mets and the Phillies, like, pretty clearly. So I don't necessarily have the same venom um, for the Nationals that I do for those other two teams. I think the Nationals have been good for a while now, so some of that's building up, particularly in the, in the younger Braves fans. But, you know, I, I, I'm only speaking for me now, but I just never have that same animus for the Nationals. Like, I don't, you know, they're a division rival of the Braves, so, you know, rooting for them seems weird to me. But because of the Astros and all that stuff... It wasn't like, you know, it was more that I wasn't rooting against the Nationals. I wasn't yeah. rooting for the Nationals, <laughs> but I wasn't like really invested in rooting against them. If, if it had been the Phillies or the Mets, I, I could never root for the Phillies or the Mets. I could never. Oh, root for, for sure. Yeah, um, no matter what. Maybe against the Yankees, it would have been like close because I, I, you know, I'm the age where I just hate the Yankees because they beat us in the World Series twice. Um, but yeah, I just, I wanted to root for the Astros. They wouldn't let me. So. Yeah. Thank, thank, you, was, for, thank, thank you for having a bad organization, Astros. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a great series. I mean, as far it as was, the was fun. field. Um, and it was just, I mean, you know, good on the Nats for winning four on the road. Um, you look at their playoff as a whole. I mean, they were they were down three to one against the Brewers and uh, in the wild card game. And if it wasn't for a broken bat uh, and a little jam shot over the, over the first baseman, uh, they'd probably lose to Milwaukee. And yeah, I mean, they they, they, should, they probably should have lost that game, which is absolutely they should have crazy. Yeah. I mean that that's the wild that's the wild card game going yeah. in a way that yeah, it's just it's honestly happens it's happened more times than you would think now. Yeah, where teams just get a break and that's it, and they're really good by the way. I mean, as much as we all made fun of the sense May twenty fourth stuff, and that was funny. It was all very funny. Um, the Nationals were very good this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got they got off to a terrible start, but from basically that point forward, they were awesome. And all the metrics, even when they were having the terrible start, all believed in them because you know I, I post the you know maybe not daily, but every couple days playoff odds for the Braves and their projected record. And for the longest time, the Braves had this pretty big lead on the Nationals, and the systems were still seeing the Nationals as the favorite in the National League East. Yeah. So the numbers always liked the Nationals, and they were really good. Uh, so yeah, yeah. It, 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 it didn't feel weird that they won. At the end of the day, I mean, the Astros were better. I still believe that there's there's people that won't ever acknowledge that a team is better than another team because they lost in a series, which I I think it's kind of funny. Like objectively, the Astros were better than the Nationals this year. Like it's not mm-hmm. really even up for debate in my opinion. But they lost a seven game series, so there you yep. Go. No, I mean, again, it it, it kind of felt like the Nats, kind of like the St. Louis Blues. Shout out to the St. Louis Blues. Uh, we're just kind of like a team noted Blues enthusiast. Scott That's Cole. right. Uh, but you know, they, again, they they come back against the Brewers. They were down two to one against the Dodgers. Uh, they come back to tie it, and then they're down. I think it was three to nothing in the sixth or seventh inning, and came back to beat the Dodgers in Game Five. Um, you know, they, they kind of rolled over the Cardinals, which wasn't any great feat. Just, it was, if anything, a little frustrating to watch as a Braves fan. Um, but then again, to be down three, two, you've lost three in a row at home, uh, in the world series and to come back and and win two more on the road against, um, as you talked about an Astros team for six months was pretty clearly the best team in baseball. Um, you know, hats off to them. They, They certainly deserved it. Yep, there you go. Uh, no more, no more baseball that matters for uh, several months, which is unfortunate for everyone. But uh, the hot stove is lit, Scott. We, we, kick, we, kick, <laughs> we, we kicked it off today. Um, moves. We talked about like process stuff all day today for almost an hour on a podcast, and uh, 
it was yeah. enough to kick the rotation review for another week. So there you just go. wait until they re-sign Chris Martin to a one-year deal. We're going to go wild. Uh, I would endorse that because I like Chris Martin. I think he's good. I would too. I like Chris Martin. Uh, uh, that yeah. would be good. But yeah, I, I <laughs> yeah. do think that uh, might be in for a waiting game. I hope that's not true, and I hope they space things out a little bit for us. But uh, yeah, strap in. You know, the next time that we talk on this podcast, it will likely be a the majority of the podcast will likely be a starting rotation review slash look ahead. So we'll talk about guys that are not maybe going to be back like Keiko and Tehran. And then of course the young guys like Soroka and Freed and Fulton because spoiler alert, as we look ahead, the Braves have three guys in the rotation for next year right now and two pretty glaring holes. So yeah. some work to be done. Um, Scott, please plug anything you have going on. Uh, I really appreciate your work in this space as always. So anything, anything happening in your world? Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, we talked about it, but we've done. Uh, we're working on the player uh, reviews for 2019, so have a couple of those in the in the can, getting ready to come out. Um, and as always, just be checking out the site. Lots of you know, of course, anytime there's even a smidgen of hot stove action, it'll be on there, and it's always good to chat about. So, uh, thanks for having me on. My pleasure as always, sir. And uh, for everybody else, please subscribe to this podcast. Please tell a friend. Um, we have, I guess, a crossover issue in terms of the wiring with uh, with Google Podcasts, so my apologies on that. We're looking at that. Chris Willis, our first leader, is figuring that, that out for us. But subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Stitcher, um, Overcast, all, all those famous podcast providers. We should be on all those. If we're not, let us know, and uh, we'll see everybody next week. Support for this show comes from Vanta. Dealing with loads of spreadsheets, juggling different tools, and having to do manual security checks, it can be a headache to keep up with today's compliance and security programs. Vanta is the trust management platform that wants to simplify things and bring all your trust-building efforts under one roof, making growth smoother for your whole organization. Vanta lets you automate up to 90% of compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more strengthen security posture and reduce third-party risk get one thousand dollars off vanta when you go to vanta.com slash vox that's vanta.com slash vox for one thousand dollars off vanta support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. want to get a little more from every sip Smartwater alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure it's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smart Water Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.